Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome, everyone. It's so great having you here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com. Make sure also click on the link on my show link. You can also email me at michelle.zou at ptcgconsulting.com. I also welcome you to connect me through LinkedIn. Today we have Janice Ingerhart as my guest on the show together with me. We are going to talk about China in Americans' eyes to hear what Janice thinks about China. I remember the first time I met Janice was in the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, and I was a speaker for a event organized by Janice's team. That was back in 2016, and since then we have worked on multiple projects together, and I always enjoy talking to Janice. Well, so glad to have you here, Janice. I know you have a lot of stories to tell, and I know you are such a great storyteller. Could you please start by telling us a little bit about you, like who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Janice Engelhart. I'm married with two kids who are now in college. I'm originally from Los Angeles, and my home, though, is Seattle. My children were born there, and that's the place we call home now. We came to China in 2010. I lived in Guangzhou, and、um, at that time, I was the director of arts and cultural programming at the U.S. consulate. We remained there for five years, and then came up to Beijing. We've been in Beijing two years, and I work within the public affairs section, also the cultural division within the embassy now, and manage mission-wide—that's China-wide programming for the embassy in the arts, performance, film, dance, music, as well as speakers programs. Such a fun job. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is, and I will say it has been my first entree into the State Department. And it has allowed me not only to learn more about American culture, because my mission is really to bring American culture and arts to China for Chinese audiences, but I've also had the opportunity to connect with a lot of Chinese artists and learn about Chinese form, whether it's music, dance, Cantonese opera, Beijing Peking opera,、um, contemporary dance, really a whole myriad of Chinese art forms, and that's been a pleasure. Yeah, you know the first time when I met you, that was at least a year ago. I was so impressed. Wow, the U.S. Embassy in China is not just doing the visa stuff. You guys are <laughs> doing a lot of cultural, you know, many different aspects of things. I was totally impressed. It totally changed my impression of what a U.S. Embassy. Their function here. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting piece in our division, which is in education and cultural affairs、um, within the Department of State. We really do have an opportunity to share America in a different way, not through visas and not through、uh, politics or economy, but through our artists, and that's the creative and energetic spirit that is America. So when we bring a music group. Maybe a jazz group here. That's an old form. It was traditional, born out of a slave culture, and moved into quite free and innovative expression. So you bring that to a classroom and share it in China. That's American culture,、um, and it's something. Especially with music, I think there's a real opportunity to collaborate. So you have、uh, Chinese who maybe have been studying the form as well, who want to play with these American musicians. And when you create together, you really get to know each other.、Mm-hmm. And that's been the beauty of that work, really. Whether it's in dance or film, music,、um, spoken word, poetry.、Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious about、uh, when you came in China. You said、uh, 2010, and what was your impression at that time? 
I really knew nothing about China. China was never on my radar. I never studied it. I grew up, as I said, in California, so we ate Chinese food. I mean, when my mother <laughs> American Chinese yeah, food. American <laughs> Chinese food that would be served in the white cardboard bins with the metal handles. But I didn't really have breath. I, in college, studied philosophy in German, spent a year abroad in Austria, and then did graduate research in Switzerland. So it traveled extensively throughout Europe when I was younger, but I just didn't have my eyes on Asia. And it was really my husband, who is a foreign service officer, works in the political section here, who had this interest in learning Chinese and China was obviously growing more and more, and on the political sphere, it's a hugely influential country. So he was the one to suggest it first, and I thought, yeah, I can see that. You know, China is becoming, or has been for so long, just such a big player in the world. And if we're to do business or grow up in a world where our consciousness is more global, we need to understand China. And I always believe the best way to understand a place is to live in it. So I was amenable at that time. And we decided to move. The job was open in Guangzhou. And mm -hmm. so that's what took us there to Guangzhou originally. And just by chance, there happened to be a job available in the cultural affairs section. So that was a good match for my skill set. Mm -hmm. At that time, when you were in Guangzhou, I think Guangzhou was already very developed at that time, right? 2010. Yes. yes. We came the, um, the summer before the Asia Games. Uh-huh. And that was, uh, it was... Lots of constructions everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It was actually a fascinating place. The public affairs offices were in the Garden Hotel. They were building a new consulate there in Zhujiang Xinjiang. And the plaza of Zhujiang Xinjiang was really just dirt. And they were bringing the workers in. I still have pictures where they were schlepping the stone, the hardscapes, to put that uh, plaza in place. The um, provincial museum had just been built that summer, and the new opera house, a Zaha Hadid building that is gorgeous, was just put in there. So they were really changing the face of the new commercial district of Guangzhou, and it happened to be the embassy, or the consulate, has this real estate, and they were able to land there. At the same time, they were putting in um, a new library. So this whole center really became quite dynamic. Um, and that really all came up in 2010, and then the Asia Games... Um, brought much, a lot of resurfacing of streets and a lot of park management and just a lot of beautification of the city. While I was there, I think four new subway lines were installed. Mm -hmm. In my home of Seattle, I think maybe two stops were open. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exemplary, really, of this fast pace of growth is hugely impressive. I mean, what China has done overall in its development, but I think what we witnessed in Guangzhou was really phenomenal. So you saw that new area, the new city, yeah, the new, during yes, those years. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I was there, I think, a couple of months ago. I was very impressed. I took some pictures and posted on my social media. I say, this is China. It's full of wealth. It's yes. everywhere, right? You see that area, yeah. Yeah, and even at the south end of the river, there's a new Canton Tower. Well, that also, that came up and was opened that the summer before the Asia Games. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of its iconic building. Every city wants its their own iconic building, and for Guangzhou, it's the Canton Tower. Right, that's the one, yeah. So if you tell people who haven't been to China in their life yet, how do you describe China to them? It's a good question because I think China defies one's ability to, to describe it because it's so much, right? I mean, with 5,000 years of history, you have a richness to the place that is almost unimaginable for people like me who come from a new country, mm -hmm. you know, a few hundred years ago from America. So there is still, you can walk through those hutongs in Beijing or the medicine market in Guangzhou near Xiamian Island, where you just feel a sense of history and place that is really no part of the accelerated life that mm -hmm. is Guangzhou or that is China. Um, and at the same time, you can go down to the, the Zhujiang Xinjiang portion of Guangzhou 
or go into the central district of Beijing, and you're seeing these magnificent tall buildings, you're seeing big hotels, all these five-star hotels, and a city that could be international city that is as dynamic as any other. I mean, mm-hmm. it sometimes just reminds me of you know, New York. So it's a little bit of everything. It's the old, it's the new, and it's all the in-between. <laughs> 5,000 years. Isn't it? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> From then to now, <laughs> it's everything. So what kind of opportunities do you see in China with this long history and with this vast land and <laughs> with this fast pace right, right, growing? Right. I think... I guess one of the things that I really love about China, it's flexibility. And by that, I mean um, people are actually quite flexible and willing to work with whatever presents itself. So, for example, I work in the arts. So if I had an event or maybe I knew of an artist coming and I wanted to match that artist Mm -hmm. with the Chinese traditional musician, maybe an Arhu player or a Gujong player, then I just simply call some people that I know, or maybe someone from the conservatory or the Academy of Music, and I would say, you know, do you have a Gujong player who is willing to play with my visiting trombonist or my (laughs) visiting saxophonist? They would find someone for me, and they would say, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, where do you, blah, 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 where do you want them? And someone would just maybe show up in a half hour. There's a spontaneity wow. to the living uh-huh. that is so different than what you find in, in the States. Like for mo- and I think it's hard for Americans, too, when they come here. Sometimes there used to be planning programs in advance. They're used to setting up appointments two or three weeks in advance. Right. But here, sometimes you just don't know exactly what's going to happen until the last minute. And on one hand, it can be incredibly frustrating, but the longer I'm here, the more I appreciate that mentality because I don't feel, you could see how life progresses. And on that Thursday night at six o'clock when you want to do something, you have the flexibility to engage or not engage. And it kind of depends on your mood at the time. So I sort of like the way that, I guess that patterning works. Mm-hmm. And that also speaks to the point that you made earlier, the faster pace, the grow. Right. Yeah, because everything moving so fast uh, from the infrastructure you described, how you see the well, new right. city growing in like a couple of years, everything changed. Yeah, right. to and maybe people's life, um, the work, uh, everything's changing or moving so fast. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's difficult. I mean, you don't always want to be on the treadmill, but... I may not be so articulate about this because I think I'm still trying to work it out to be able to really name this feeling or name this phenomena mm-hmm. that is flexibility in motion. Mm. And it's, it may even sound a little bit new agey, but I feel that there's a respect for the energetics of what's happening in a moment and people come together when there's energy and meaning in an encounter. And if it's not working, or if it's not purposeful, it doesn't happen. And I really think that if you follow that philosophy, Mm -hmm. if you go to where purposeful energy is meeting, then programs are more dynamic, things happen, and you seem to, the world sort of coalesces to your advantage. Mm. Or it sort of things coalesce. It's it's actually quite. I'm not being very clear in my explanation, but it's a subtle energetics that I find happens in this place, and I just love it because when it happens, or when you follow the thread of whatever energy is accumulating around specific events, and you take it to the end, you are met with. Um, you're met with partners of meaning. You're met with circumstances that fit, maybe a place, maybe a um, another event that attaches itself to your own and makes it bigger than you could ever imagine. But sometimes there are huge surprises on the other end. Mm-hmm. So being flexible and uh, just to flow with it, sometimes uh, unexpected opportunities just yeah. show up. Yeah, I think that's a great way to say, talk about it is in this context in the context of flow. Mm-hmm. It's, I find that people by nature that I encounter here operate from a position of flow, and it's, um, 
it tends to be a more relaxed posturing sometimes than my um, American colleagues sometimes. Or I, I would just say when I was working in the States, there's maybe a little more rigidity to my working environment. Mm -hmm. The Chinese environment is very fluid. And that, for some people, is super frustrating. I can't imagine that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But for me, I love it because I think it yields meaningful and um, purpose-filled results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very unique point because uh, I haven't seen it through this way. When you mention it, yes, totally makes sense to me. You see things from mm -hmm. a different angle because I grew up here. Right, that's just part of me. Right, as you mentioned, Chinese looks like they can, you know, handle things in the last minute, and they can change, and they can be very flexible. <laughs> they can but get things done. <laughs> but it's not. I think we make the mistake, and I did the same thing when I first came here. You make the mistake of thinking it's reckless. We mm -hmm. think it's reckless and no planning, and there's lack of purpose or intention in this method of organization. But in reality, it's not that at all. And it's actually things come together like that. There's not a lot of time wasted planning an event a month before it begins because you really don't know what is going to be happening in the world the week that that event is scheduled to happen. And so they don't waste the time like because they know at the last minute you're going to have to change things because so-and-so isn't going to be around or maybe there's going to be I don't know, some other event that layers itself in the company of your intended event. Mm -hmm. So you really need to just wait for it. And then you fill your time doing things that are in your immediate. More urgent right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think my method of working has changed since I've been here. <laughs> it would be curious if I went back to the States how you, I would do that. You may have a yeah. culture shock when yeah, right. you go back. <laughs> I do remember, though, when I go back that, oh, yes, if I'm dealing with Americans, then you really do have to make appointments with them much in advance. <laughs> you can't or just do I would, Right. I would feel a little guilty calling them a few days before and saying, oh, can you, you know, meet me for this event or whatever. <laughs> if you summarize what you really... Uh, like about China or Chinese, mm. what what do some words come up to your mind? Broadly, I would say culture. I really appreciate Chinese traditional culture. I appreciate the respect for ancestors and family that mm -hmm. is carried with everyone I know. I love to see grandparents engaging with their grandkids in ways that I didn't experience in my life with my grandparents, nor did my children know their grandparents in the way so many Chinese families are connected. I love their sincere respect for the arts, their love of painting, their connection with the earth, the Tao Te Ching, the I Ching, both speak to this important human-earth connection that I think is a philosophy more beautiful than most. I very much philosophically and theologically connect with the Chinese way of viewing the world in that way. I also appreciate their way of looking at the human body. A more systems approach, allopathic and Western medicine, have divided the body up and often take a, a problem-centered look at it, whereas I think the Chinese, through the meridians, through the acupressure points, acupuncture points, are looking more holistically of how the both the, the both the nervous well uh, the, yeah the chi certainly but the nervous system the anatomical system mm -hmm. relates to one another and how that influences chi mm -hmm. because we are all the whole world is energetics and yeah. that in the Chinese way of looking at the human body at health at medicine they get that mm -hmm. and I think that is a, a huge place where the Westerners could benefit. I mean, they would, a huge place where they would gain much. And I think there's a, a real respect for Chinese medicine in the U.S. now. I think it is in other countries as well. I know several uh, Chinese doctors who live in Germany now, but um, I think they, um, even if you were to go to a massage therapist in the U.S., they would be conscious of qi, of meridian movement, yes. of that sort of thing. Yeah, it's not very easy to understand the Chinese medicine, their theory, because it's not easy to scientifically prove. Right, <laughs> right. You right. can't see, oh, there's a problem here, or how these things go through. And, yeah. I come from a background in public health, and we talk about a pound, an ounce of 
prevention is worth a pound yes. of cure. And I think the Chinese way is all about prevention. Maintaining a healthy body that is in balance, that is has both aspects of yin and yang, and then uh, living from that healthy posture forward. Mm-hmm. So it's not just looking for um, illness and treating illness, but maintaining health and balance. Yep. So that's the traditional <clears throat> part you like about China. Yes, that's my. <laughs> yeah. And and did I say food? I mean, that's、oh. probably the best. It's time for a commercial break. Please stay with us, and we'll be back to talk more about the modern China. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China, with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today; you're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's eight six six four seven two fifty seven ninety. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting dot com. Now back to this week's program. Now back to in China with Michelle Zhou. I'm talking to Janice, who lives in Beijing and works in the U.S. Embassy. So Janice. You shared with us what you really like about the traditional part of China,、uh-huh. and what about this new China that you have seen is growing in the past seven years now? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I think there is something about there's a little nostalgia the foreigner feels for the old China, for the old hutongs, the old classy places, and I think we come to. Or I came to China with the hope of seeing those little alleyways, things that are so different than things that I know in the U.S. So, where did you hear all those things before you came here? Just seeing them in movies or or seeing pictures. So that, you, that was your impression about China. That was my impression、uh, of China before you came here. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what you, you expect to see <clears throat> at that time. And of course, you know that the China is becoming more and more developed, and certainly、mm-hmm. the construction is new. Can I ask you a question? Yes,、uh, yes. About、uh, how 
just based on your understanding of yourself before you came to China, yeah, or through your conversations with your friends,、mm-hmm. what is China in normal Americans' eyes? What I mean, normal is the people who have never been here. Yeah, how would they talk about China when they think about China? You know, it's so hard to say because so many people will have different perspectives,、uh-huh. right? I can only speak、Talk、for myself. Talk about yourself, yeah. Before yeah. you came here, you're reading magazines, you're seeing pictures,、mm-hmm. you know stories, or have friends from China who will tell me of their hometowns. There is a sense of rural China being expansive. You think about Guilin with its mountains、ah. and the boats, the.、Um, Lotus flowers on waterways, but then you see, you also know that urban China is big and growing and shiny buildings. I think for me, I probably envisioned something of a Shanghai,、uh-huh. lots of shiny silver buildings. <laughs>、um, New China is also beautiful. I mean, there's a, at least there was. I think there continues to be a real welcome architectural approach to construction. Mm-hmm. And I had heard that many Western firms were、um, finding great opportunity in China because the architects were given license to design buildings that they wanted. I mean, you think about the CCTV building here in Beijing, the、uh, Zaha Hadid's Opera House in Guangzhou, the Canton Tower. Yeah, it's、um, all designed by foreigners. They're all foreign architects.、Right. Rokon Associates, who did the Provincial Museum, are a group of Hong Kong architects. Just a beautiful building. So there was just a lot of, yeah, opportunity to think through the built landscape、mm-hmm. in different ways, and. One of the values of having a centralized system of government is that you can control your growth. So when you're looking at your planning, there in Guangzhou, like I said, four new subway subway lines came up in my while I was there. So you these cities are growing in Beijing. The cities keep growing out by the rings, but you have arteries of subways that will actually move people that can manage populations. You have so much rural growth, so many people moving from the rural landscape into the cities. You've got to be able to manage that. How are people going to move around? We can't certainly, you know, cars. Since 1986 or so, the number of cars on the road has, you know, like, Exploded. I don't know, exploded. Right? <laughs> There's millions more than there were、And、at that traffic, time. Traffic, I think traffic there were probably, everywhere. No. <laughs> yeah, but think of what the problem would be like if you didn't have a subway system.、Mm-hmm. And we、oh, see that in, right in <laughs> Seattle. We have a very poor set. We have no, well, we have one line going from the airport to Northgate. I think、right. it goes through the U one. District. One line,、mm-hmm. but we're not going to be able to move people, and that is a huge challenge for the the city of Seattle right now because there's so much growth going on with new business, new construction.、Um, Amazon wanted to bring in like thirty thousand new workers, but where are they going to live and how are they going to move? So it's impressive, really, to see how well China has done with its ability to manage the masses of people that live in this,、um, in their cities and in their provinces. Yeah, the central government is very powerful. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, when a Chinese government wants to do something, they can just get it done really quickly and uh, just uh, you know forcefully yes, get it done. Yes. Yes. Yes.、Yeah. Yes.、Um, well. I also want to ask a little thing more private. Oh about sure. You, yeah, about your、uh, kids and their education. Because、mm-hmm. I know your kids are were educated in China versus、uh, you know in the U.S. Right, and you decided to have them educated in China.、Mm-hmm. Um, from your experience, what is the benefit of doing that, and how did you make that decision?、Mm-hmm. When we moved to Guangzhou, my daughter was in sixth grade and my son was in eighth grade. My son would graduate from high school in Guangzhou, and then my daughter finished her schooling in Guangzhou sophomore year of high school, and then she graduated from high school last year from Beijing. They went to international schools, students without Chinese passports, but many of these students, their parents are Chinese. They just maybe were born outside of China, so that's what allowed them to go to these schools. But I found. And my kids were the ones that really wanted to stay. They one enjoyed learning Chinese, and what, because you know, for a foreigner, it takes so much to learn the language. It was valuable to commit the number of years to it, so they could make some progress、mm-hmm. and stick with it. 
I think academically there was a peer culture that encouraged learning. Mm. There was a, certainly there's a lot of pressure placed, and I don't think that that is a quality of education that I necessarily endorse. All the pressure, all the tutors, all of this, but my kids were always working hard. And I think there was never anything that suggested that they should do otherwise. They still played sports. They performed in school plays. Mm -hmm. They had a very rich life outside of the classroom. But there was always a commitment to academics. And um, I think that has served them incredibly well. And I would also say that even just as teenagers, so from sixth grade, junior high through high school, they were, that was a period of time where they were becoming independent. They yes. didn't need us. In the States, I would have driven them around to all their activities. Or maybe my <laughs> kids would have, you know, you got to take them to their soccer practice right, or whatever. Right. And then they probably would have gotten their driver's licenses and been They're on 16. their own. Right. Yeah. yeah. But here, they became independent in, in a very safe environment. I mean, it's another beauty in China that you have with... Um, the kids would go out, they could use the subways, the buses, taxis, and they were moving themselves around and hugely independent in a pretty safe environment. I never worried about them. They could come home very late and maybe they were crossing town. The schools are 40 minutes north of where we lived, but I never worried about them. So and from for that, what age you allowed them to just go out by themselves? When they were really right away, huh. I would say in sixth grade and eighth grade, they were coming home by themselves. The eighth grader, my son, who was in eighth grade, he was with my daughter. It was probably right around the eighth grade when they were going independently. Wow. Um, but, or with their friends. I just feel incredibly safe yes. in China. And that is something that is, um, cannot be underestimated. It's really a comfortable environment. And when my daughter was writing her school essays, I learned a lot about her perception of China. She was sharing just her life, uh -huh. trying to be as honest as possible. But she, I think in two separate essays, she talked about transportation. Uh -huh. Or she like her movement, her trip from the school to home, and the people she saw on the side, the workers who were squatting with silver bowls, and they were eating their dinners, because uh -huh. it was probably around 6 o'clock, uh -huh. and they probably had just finished their work. And they were just squatting, watching the freeway. <laughs> and, and I know that sounds silly, but I thought it's just sort of an interesting, as a kid in the U.S., you probably never would have that opportunity. And then you start wondering about where these people live, where they're from, and do they have enough to eat? And did they, they were just hanging out. And in another essay, she talked about the walk from the subway to our apartment. Mm -hmm. And then in order to get there, the people she had to pass, the people selling fruit, the man who was uh, parking cars with an orange vest on the side of the road, or the, the people who collect the food scraps from the garbage behind a series of restaurants that's right near our apartment. And again, she talked about it in great detail. These were just pieces, snapshots from her life that she was trying to share mm -hmm. um, to the college administrators. But I think it was something that I sort of took for granted that just those very little snapshots of a life that are so different than what she would have experienced or still experiences in her school environment now or when we're walking on the streets of Seattle, it made an impression. And it made a deep impression because it came with great detail. And I think that's also part of New China, whether it's someone parking cars or all the new uh, mo bikes on the road and oh, being the able to right, <laughs> and being able to use those to travel from place to place it's part of that quick culture you can take a subway somewhere grab your mo bike drop it off and be at your lunch you know yeah, in, in a the, flash that's the shared public bike yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you pay nothing almost uh, that you can just take it from here to the other place you drop it and then you don't need to worry about it yeah. Right, right, right. right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I guess in terms of education, I think it's really been, academically, they were always pushed 
to achieve, but not in a crazy way because it was quite balanced. They were active in sports. They were able to travel all over the place. Mm -hmm. Huge opportunity there. And then just the environment around the school, like the city environment, their weekends, their evenings. It was really rich. And I think it's just good to be a minority sometimes in another country because you, you really get a sense for what it's like to be different and then you imagine well in the US what it would be like to maybe look different than the dominant culture and I think it breeds sensitivity in people mm-hmm. now they are in the US for college right. now mm-hmm. yeah I'm just wondering what's their future what's their plan about their future where are they going to live oh they, yeah do they miss China who knows <laughs> well I think they really miss the food <laughs> they, Because as soon as my kids, well, my daughter just left, but with my son, as soon as he lands, we have to go to his favorite dumpling place. <laughs> dumpling. And then he plans all of his meals. I think he really, they miss that. And they miss the flexibility or the, the easiness of living, the ability yet to ride your bike just to the closest restaurant mm. or a... Um, Yeah, just a, maybe a walk. If you need to get glasses, you can go down the glasses market and just get a pair. It doesn't have to be a big production. <laughs> Things just seem a little bit easier. Uh-huh. So they will, as long as we're here, they will continue to come back, I think, for holidays and then, or just for the winter break and then for summer. And my daughter, she will come back also for the winter break and for the summer. And she has the benefit of still having friends here. My son never lived really in Beijing, so he doesn't have... His school friends are all down in Guangzhou. So when he comes back, he usually takes a trip down to Guangzhou to see his friends that he knows from the south. We will go into another commercial break, and we'll be right back after that. And I would ask you to give some advice to foreigners who are coming to China. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more, not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. We are back to In China with Michelle Zhou and I'm Michelle. We are going to continue the topic, China in Americans' eyes, with Janice Ingerhardt. Because、mm-hmm. those kids are all still around, and they their parents are still living in Guangzhou, so they'll go back there.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is a funny story when my son, my son's at Carleton College in Minnesota, and when he was a freshman, you had to write your hometown on your door. Right. <laughs> what, what, and he said, he, he said, well, what what is my hometown? Because <laughs> He moved around, right? Yeah, and I think he said, "Well, really, I feel myself from Guangzhou," and he really wanted to put his hometown as Guangzhou because he had been there for five years and it was the, the longest, longest place he had ever lived. And even Seattle, we go back there every year. We have always tried to impose a connection to that place, but in the end, he chose Guangzhou because he said, "I, I really identify with Guangzhou," and it was the place where he came from. Where, yeah, he felt. Connected, so that at least for that month of freshman orientation, he was identified as a kid from Guangzhou, <laughs> Guangzhou China. <laughs> so, what advice would you tell a foreigner who is coming to China? Take advantage of the opportunity of being here by simply going outside and pushing yourself to do something new, because in China there's always something unexpected. The streets are beaming with life. There may be someone who's cooking noodles at night, and the steam is coming from their bowl. And there's just a beautiful meal to be had. Or you might walk through a hutong, and there's a little alley door and a beautiful restaurant behind there that you never knew existed. So it really doesn't take much to stimulate our senses. The city is so big. At least with Beijing, but this could be anywhere.、It、could be in the province, in the rural lands, in any of the cities—second, third, fourth-tier cities. You will always find some surprise, and it's—and you learn more about yourself. You interact with something new, and it's、um, a really exciting place. I know you are a writer. Are you writing a book? Because the way you describe this, I'm, I'm like seeing all these pictures. <laughs> And it's so vivid; it's just coming out, right?、Mm. So, are you writing a book about your experience in China, or your what you told me about? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I always write. I am a writer. That's the way I process my reality. So, if it forms itself as a book or a series of short stories,、um, I'll be sure and let you know. <laughs> sure. Janice, you are an expert in the artist side, right? You do all these cultural programs、uh, in China. So, what kind of opportunities you would describe when you are here looking at China、mm-hmm. to our American artists, so they get a little bit more information about China mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for their field? Yeah, of course. I think understanding the Chinese market certainly is is helpful. Understanding how China works is helpful before planning any trip. For the State Department, just practically speaking, we work within the Education Cultural Affairs Bureau. And if you were to go on the Education Cultural Affairs Bureau website, you would find several programs that are set up to bring musicians, American music abroad, filmmakers, American film showcase, dancers, American dance abroad. There is a sometimes a spoken word program that is funded by the U.S. government, and people audition for these programs, and then the State Department sends them basically as ambassadors. I mean, in the days of of early jazz, Dizzy Gillespie was traveling around the world as a jazz ambassador, basically sharing American culture. So, in the spirit of that, the U.S. government funds American artists to come to China or other countries around the world. Then, specifically with Mission China, we have over the years received many requests from artists. How can you support us? And it's a little different because in China, the Chinese government really does facilitate work for their artists. The Ministry of Culture will take their artists abroad to share Chinese culture abroad. 
we don't have a ministry of culture, and we don't have quite the same level of resources. But we do fund in China our arts and culture programming through a grant, and that is、um, made available through the embassy in Beijing. A notice of funding opportunity is released in December, and then、uh, proposals are submitted. Based on what is identified as our top priorities, people can respond to that and present their ideas, and then we divide monies that are available to artists, musicians, dancers, whoever,、mm-hmm. um, to do their programming.、Mm. Through your experience here, you may have attended and hosted or observed a lot of uh, events、mm-hmm. cultural related. So, what's your impression about a Chinese audience? Their attitude, their thoughts of This foreign American cultural stuff. Yeah, I think in general people are very receptive. I would also add, in with respect to your previous question, that much connection is made at the subnational level in China. So provinces are connecting with states, and cities are connecting with cities. Chinese value the city-to-city relationships, the sister-city relationships, the provincial-level relationships, and those partners. And oftentimes, I've seen hugely successful cultural programs that are tied to those relationships. So, for example,、um, it's Fuzhou, I believe, is sister city to、mm-hmm. Tacoma. Ah, and、yes. oftentimes, out of that relationship, certainly has come commerce and trade and interaction. But there's also been some cultural exchange programs brought on there. Nanning in Guangxi Province has sister city to, I believe it's Columbus. It's a city in in Ohio, and they too have been able to, over many many years, have built these relationships where they're sending mid level. City officials to Ohio. Ohio sends their officials, and they do all of this exchange. And at the same time, they provide opportunities for their universities, maybe choirs, musical groups, theater groups, and such to exchange. So that's another way. If someone knows, contacts their local or city government, and finds out who their sister city relationship is in China, that might be useful.、Mm-hmm. Any programs that you see very successful? Can you describe the events? I would say there was performance or whatever. Yeah, I,、uh, the I remember out of Montana, there was a ballet group out of Montana, and I remember that they had established very solid working relationships with a group also in Nanning and Guangxi, and they were also helping this this group to come to Montana to do some programming there. So it's really about an exchange. So the and I think that's really where it works well, where you spend enough time developing relationships so that you support the、um, the Chinese partner and the Chinese partner supports you. So you provide home for them when they come to the U.S. or opportunities, and at the same time you they provide support. We've worked for a long time out of Kansas, a gentleman by the name of Wu Xingkun, who is a sculptor. Who found his home? He's Chinese American from Shunda in Guangdong Province, but he has an established sort of sculpture studio and garden. He has set up a Chinese garden in his home outside of Kansas City,、mm-hmm. and he's been able to bring quite a few Chinese artists over there. And at the same time, he's worked with the oil painters of America and other sculptors from all across America to bring them to China to do various tours. So that's oftentimes it's really in these personal relationships. That are built maybe out of geographical relationships, and then both sides are sharing opportunities, both in the U.S. and in China.、Mm-hmm. So I think we have to really get away from the, that idea that these single programs, the U.S. just sending someone to China or China sending someone to the U.S., is really going to yield anything, yield any collaboration or friendship for the long term. It's about those enduring relationships that are formed when people work together or they create together. If an artist who is interested in, or a group of artists who are interested in coming to China, because the huge opportunity, huge market here,、um, where do they start? What's your advice to them? Well, someone actually from the Ministry of Culture just told me today is they can contact the Chinese consulate or the Chinese embassy in the U.S. To see if that's what someone from the Ministry of Culture 
said to me, and I asked the same question, it's certainly one channel. Mm -hmm. I would have them try many channels. They can do that. They can go on the ECA, Education Cultural Affairs Bureau's website, and see if that's, that's a competitive programming. And they can check in with their local governments to find out what kind of relationships exist. It may be that their city has a longstanding relationship with a smaller, maybe a third-tier city in a province that rarely gets American culture. Beijing is saturated with it. They have a lot of Western culture that comes through. The big cities, Beijing, Guangzhou, Shanghai, are saturated with Western art or Western cultural influences. But I think it's those second and third tier cities that would really benefit. And people have told me over the years, in fact, even in Guangzhou, um, but in other places like Foshan, they have these large scale, these very large theaters or music houses, and they really want to bring programming. They just don't have it. So exposure to programming. If you set up a tour to China, you probably want to try and pay visits to these big theaters. It would be well worth your while to find out how those individual places do their programming. Mm -hmm. And there are many consulting firms or agencies in the U.S. that they have connections to China, so they can also help to to find the right partners uh, to yeah to bring them back here. Right. Yeah. I think that is one of the key things to have success, especially for an artist who doesn't understand how the Chinese landscape works. They would need a Chinese partner to help them navigate navigate the the infrastructure of what it takes to work here. Because sometimes there may be different levels of government approval that's required, and you need someone who can help you push that paperwork through. Right. That's great. Thank you so much for all this advice. Now let me quickly summarize what we have discussed in the earlier part of the show today. You shared with us about the fast pace of growth in China that you have observed since you moved here seven years ago. And I personally resonate so much with the point uh, you mentioned about flexibility, being flexible and flow with it. I even read down the sentence, be flexible and unexpected opportunities may just show up. Well, from what you have shared with us, Janice, I got a sense that you really enjoy your life in China. All right, it's time to the end of the show. We are at the end of the show now. Thank you so much. It has been so great to have you all today. We've talked about China in Americans' eyes today. I want to send a special thank you to our wonderful guest, Janice Ingerhardt. You can find more about her background in LinkedIn and follow her from there. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and next week we are going to talk about the experience of working in China with Jim Fridrikson. Jim has worked with Chinese companies for a decade, and he has lived in Beijing when he was a senior manager at Microsoft. I'm sure he has a lot of useful information to share with you. See you next week. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhao. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.